I am going to put off my Galatians study till next week and instead focus on New Year's. Still close enough. Today is what? The uh, 14th, right? And I think it's a good time to go ahead and still give a bit of a challenge in regards to New Year's. And I, I want to read something. I've read it in the past, uh, but I want to read a little bit from a, a, a research document uh, from Barna in regards to New Year's. But before I do, let me ask you a question. How many of you bothered to make New Year's resolutions this year? Anybody? Okay. A couple of you did. All right. Uh, Hannah did. Okay, good. All right. Uh, you know, statistically, older people don't. Statistically, resolutions are made by younger people. Why? The older you get, the more discouraged you get in making resolutions, right? All right, but we should not allow that to happen, okay? But I want to just read this because he says some interesting, brings out some interesting points about resolutions. Uh, it's, of course, a common experience that Americans do this. Nearly two-thirds of the nation's population in 2011, when this was made, said that they made resolutions. Yet, only one out of every five, that's 19%, is definitely planning to make them. In other words, only one out of five Americans, when this poll was taken, really produced them, really sat down and thoughtfully created resolutions. How many of you have said, I'm going to lose weight this year? I make that resolution every year. <laughs> I'm still trying to lose the same 30 pounds, okay? Uh, some resolutions we make verbally, but we really don't put the effort in to really complete them. Only 20% make definite plans. Well, only one of, uh, out of every four, though, found resolutional commitments helpful. All right? And so I think that gives us a little bit of a peek that a lot of people want to change. A lot of people don't change. Now, they point out, though, part of the reason a big reason people may struggle with keeping their resolutions is that they try to achieve personal change on their own. Among those who make New Year's resolutions, most said they were not planning on having accountability or a support system in place to help them stick with those commitments. That's a big reason why most of us fail, right, in making resolutions. And keeping them, I mean, we, we, it's really hard to change on your own. That's why there's Jenny Craig or uh, whatever group there are on TV. Uh, I, I watch, uh, when I exercise, I watch CNBC, so they're always having the football and, and sports people talk about how you can lose 10, 15, or 50 pounds, and, and they'll help you by sending you the prepackaged food. That's a way to get help, all right? If I only ate... When my wife served me, I would lose weight easily because it's a controlled, accountable environment. All right? If you have a problem in some area and you know you want change, whether it's in eating or whether it's in, in drinking or whether it's in time management or whether it's in studying, making good use of your time, submitting to accountability is critical to achieve results. But something else that they said that's fascinating... <clears throat> is that you know, they surveyed a 1,000 people, and people mentioned uh, all the resolutions they wanted to make, and almost all the resolutions were self-oriented changes, okay? You know, like I said, weight or money or personal improvement, addiction issues, career. Spiritual or church-related changes, only 5% of the people 
made anything that had to do with their religious faith. And of the 1,000 people surveyed, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 1,000 people surveyed, less than 1%, only 9 people, only 9 people said in their survey that they wanted to concentrate on making, uh, having a closer relationship with God. Less than 1%. Now these are not believers in Yeshua per se. These are not genuinely religiously oriented people. These are just a sampling of Americans. But at the same time, less than 1%. Either that means that less than 1% of Americans are genuinely interested in having a relationship with God or those who have a relationship with God are not as committed to their relationship with God as they think they are. Again, a lot of our goal setting is self-absorbed. They also said that only four, uh, let's see, uh, that <laughs> relational improvement was also pretty low. I mean, uh, in, that includes, you know, marriages and stuff. Last thing I just want to mention from this, it says, maybe most problematic in the entire survey is that Americans hinge their efforts at personal change by focusing almost exclusively on themselves rather than realizing that lasting change often comes by serving and sacrificing for others. Churches and faith communities have a significant opportunity to help people identify what makes for transformational change and how to best achieve those objectives, especially by relying on goals and resources beyond their individualism. Value of community is the fact that together we can help one another by serving one another toward the change and personal improvement, whether it's habits we need to get rid of or whether it is really positive pursuits we need to prioritize in our lives. It's within community that this guy is basically saying that greatest results can be made. Now, I say all that because uh, I want to focus on the issue of goals, but I kind of want to do it in a slightly different direction. If you look on your sheet, you'll notice that the big idea, which is in blue, states that we must work hard at making our lives count for God by setting godly goals. Why do I have that statement there? Is because if you are old enough, meaning you're not probably in the first two rows here, if you are old enough, you know how quickly life just moves on. I went uh, to Northern California. I saw my mother and my brother, and I saw a couple of friends, uh, uh, some of whom I've known for a long time. And it's so easy to recall life back in Northern California when I was a kid, okay? And to think, wow, how time flies. But that is real. Time flies. You know, I met with my older brother, who's just one year older than me, just got done with a double bypass surgery and then infection sitting in the hospital. Now, what's fascinating about my older brother is he's not a God-fearer. He's not a believer in God and has no faith commitments at all. He's just totally secular. And his mentality is just one day at a time, just let it just roll on by. And yet, if you look at his life, his life has produced nothing. So easy for us all to let that happen. You get up in the morning, you go to work, you accomplish whatever your tasks are, 
and you eat some food somewhere in between and maybe you watch some TV and you go to bed and you start all over. If you were to just poll typical Americans, that's a lot of what their lives involve. One of the things he points out is he talks about detached people. And secular people, irreligious people, are mostly detached from the functions of, of you know, intentional planning and thoughtfulness in regards to life. They're just rolling through life. America is becoming more and more of a secular society. Also, unfortunately, many who profess faith in Yeshua are emulating that same pattern of life. Just rolling along. And so what I want to do is I want to challenge us this morning in two areas. First, I want us to give consideration to what it means to order our time. I want us to really think anew what it means to learn to order our time. All right? To prioritize our time. What do the biblical texts say about it? And then secondly, I want us to take a little bit of time looking at what it means to develop an order to our lives. What does it mean to actually have an order to our lives? So the first thing we're going to do is take, us, take ourselves to the classic text of Ecclesiastes. Because Ecclesiastes is the text when it comes to uh, time. At least that chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes says it well. So turn with me please. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This is found on page 782. Page 782 in the Congregational Tanakh. We're going to look at verses 3 through 8. And we're going to focus a little time on what it means to use our time wisely. Use our time wisely. Uh, you know, Satan, Satan, the adversary, his greatest desire is to, uh, probably his greatest interest is for us to use our time poorly, to waste our time. Because in essence, it's a way to kill us. <laughs> it's a way to kill us. Neutralize our efforts and interests. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to discard, a time to tear apart and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time for, to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This written by the wisest man who ever lived toward the end of his life. A man who has lived a very good life. And at the end of his life, He's a bit conflicted about life. Vanity of vanities, everything's vain. Everything is worthless. Yet in chapter 3, he lays out some very important points. But I want to divide it into two, two sections. <clears throat> when it comes to using our time wisely, when we think about time, we have to keep in mind that some things just happen to us. Some actions we cannot plan for. There are some things we do not control, like when you're born. Or even when you die. Can't control that. Totally out of your control. All right? Some things just happen, like birth and death. But a lot of things are actually within our control. Tearing down and building up being one. 
We think about the words that we use. Do we tear people down or do we build people up? That's something we can definitely control. If you look again at the text, a time to plant and a time to uproot. In essence, if we think about being constructive with our life, you know, there's a Jewish statement, a Jewish proverb about the value of planting a tree. Even if you don't get the benefit of the tree, you're planting a tree, you're making a statement for the future. It's a statement of hope. It's a very constructive statement. When you think about your life, what are you investing in into the future through your life? Positive, constructive things. You know, it almost goes back to what the Barna survey was about, where too often we focus about ourselves, thinking that what's most important is us and our needs, when in reality, we feel the most fulfillment when we give to others. I mean, when you think about kids, kids are an investment. There was a survey that was done uh, and the, uh, about parents and people are parents, people are not parents. And they said that people that are parents did not display the same level of happiness as people that were not parents. Now think about it. I mean, uh, uh, Ariel and David are over there. And Yael is a beautiful, perfect child. But she demands from them. Children are like parasites, okay? Because they're sucking the life out of you. And in that sense, it makes you unhappy. You can't go out and do the things you want to do. David over there has got four of them. But they said that the happiness figure, and of course I can go around the room, but the happiness wasn't what was important. It was the satisfaction of life that was important. True satisfaction comes when you give to others. And as you raise children, you know, you have to give. But it's an investment into the future. And satisfaction is the result. All these older kids in the front, you know, your goal in life should be to bring joy to your parents through your hard effort, your hard work, your respect of them, all right? And that, that helps them to feel the satisfaction of the investment that they've made in your life. By the way, at the beginning of 2017, they came up with a statement that it costs $223,000 to raise a child today. I think that's silly, but that's still what they say. So that's what it'll be. It may be a little bit cheaper for your guys because, you well, you get the spread, so I don't know. We'll see. You just keep track of it. When you think about your time and the way you are using your time, are you using your time to invest constructively in the building up of other people? Are you intentionally using your time to encourage the people around you, to, to, uh, to, to do things that you know are an investment into the future, whether it's in the synagogue, outside the synagogue, in your home or outside the home? Something to think about. At the end of Ecclesiastes, he makes a great statement, which I'm sure you've all heard, but we're going to read it again. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. He says, A final word when all has been heard. Fear God and keep his mitzvot, for this applies to all mankind. 
God will bring every deed into judgment, including everything that is hidden, whether it is good or evil. You know, that's a, that's a great statement. All that matters in the end is fearing God and keeping His instruction. There's so much we can do privately today, especially a lot of sin that can be done privately today. There's a lot of wasted time that is, that is accomplished today. Uh, we were talking about on, on uh, Wednesday night in the, in the uh, study in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 about it's a sin not to maximize your time for the building up of God's kingdom. It's really a sin if you waste your time. How many of you think about that? If you are just sitting around not being productive, and this is really a characteristic of your life, the proverbial word is lazy, and laziness is one of those things that the proverb speaks very harshly against. Not using your time effectively for the building up of God's kingdom and the keeping of his instruction is an avera. It's a sin. It's a transgression of God's instruction. And we need to think seriously about that. But more, look at the positive nature of this commandment here. To fear God and keep his mitzvot. If it is your intentional desire to, to fear God, to respect God, Yerat HaShemayim, the fear of Adonai, the fear of heaven, if that is your desire to, to respect God with all your being and to keep his instructions, then you're not going to go off the derech, off the way. You won't. Because your, your desire is placed in the right place. You desire to use your time wisely and to be constructive in the use of your time. But now let's take a look over at the Brich Hadashah, the New Testament. Take a look at, uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 5. Three short verses also talking about time, but not the wise use of time per se, even though there's, of course, a great a gray reality to this, but I want to focus on the effective use of time. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. This is found on page 1,121. Page 1,121. Ephesians chapter 5 Beginning in verse 15, it says, So pay close attention to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. Make the most of your time, because the days are evil. For this reason, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now again, there's a lot that can be said here. I want to point out three things. First, I encourage you, according to verse 15, to critically evaluate how you are living your life. Give me a, you know, I just, I, I, these are really basic. If you watch four times as much TV as you spend reading your scriptures, you need to evaluate that. I mean, I constantly, you know, look around the TV. I don't watch much TV. I watch, like, the news, which can also be a problem. But there's so much garbage today on TV. And if you find yourself watching a lot of TV, you are simply just opening your being to, to garbage. If you spend four times the amount of time watching TV as you read Scripture, you need to evaluate that. But how about this? A lot of young people are just on social media. Compare the amount of time you spend on social media compared to reading your Scriptures. If you believe that God has given us good instruction... It's Chaim, right? We talk about if God has given us good instruction. If you believe it, do you read it? If you don't read it, you're just failing. Uh, you're going to fail in your effectiveness. And, and it's not 
in any way a good use of your time. You, nothing wrong with social media, nothing wrong even with the boob tube, okay? There's nothing wrong with, with uh, Netflix, okay, or YouTube. But if, you are, if your time allocation during the day is significantly more for these things than it is for Scripture, where is your priority? And probably the question should be asked is, do you desire to have a relationship with God? You spend time with the ones you love. You spend time, time with the ones you love. And if you love God, you spend time with Him. If you really don't love God, you don't. What are you doing with your time? When's the last time you did a critical evaluation of how you are living your life? The what, why, how, the details of your life. Draw a log. <laughs> Draw a log of the use of your time. You know, I would say this, parents, kids are in public school, because that's generally where they're in school. They're in education about 35 hours a week. That education is both good and bad. Probably the most worst, worst part of the education is the time between classes in the halls, all right? But think of the influence the kids get at school in terms of the humanistic, secular approach of the teaching. How do we counteract that? Well, as a synagogue, we have midweek studies, we have Shabbat school, but mostly it's the responsibility of parents in the home to be providing both a model for what it means to learn of God and to strengthen yourself spiritually, as well as the responsibility of parents to instruct their children in the home. How are you instructing your children in the home? What little things are you doing? You know, one thing you can do that is a big help, I think, in many ways is Shabbat. Erev Shabbat all the way through till, till Saturday to sanctify the day in whatever ways you can so that at least one out of seven days is holy. <laughs> one thing I've talked about here on occasion is, tele, uh, is the telephones, I mean the phones, the cell phones. You know, I really encourage you parents, because I can't make the adults do this, I encourage you parents to dramatically limit technology on Shabbat, including cell phones. Uh, because it's, it's, I mean, the truth of the matter is it's a sewer, unless you control it very closely. You've got to do it. Uh, and I think it's, it is an issue of evaluation. It's a personal thing. But I think that for all of us, we ought to really spend a lot less time on our phones on Shabbat, if not at all. But especially with kids, it's really an issue that I encourage parents to take very seriously. But going right along here, he goes on and he says, make the most of your time because the days are evil. Verse 16, make the most of your time. Making the most of your time, what is the way we can most maximize our time? We can most maximize our time when we do with our time the things that please God. You can please God on your job. When you do what you do specifically because you want to do it for God's glory. Whether it's on the job uh, and you're, you're doing customer service or you're a student or you're, you're doing anything, okay? Uh, delivering babies, all right? Running a business. Whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God and you're making the most of your time. If your sole interest is making money, your sole interest is, is, is getting ahead in the socioeconomic ladder of America, you're not making the most of your time because you're serving yourself instead of God. 
we have to make sure that at the core of our motivation, we desire to make the most of the time that God has given us. You never know when you're going to die. And it's only the things we do for God that last. Finally, the last thing here, and this is in verse 17. For this season, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We all have our own interests. When I was 15 and a half or 16 years of age, my interest was to make money and to become very famous. Get involved in politics and make millions of dollars. That was my goal. God had a different will for my life, a different direction for my life. Do you truly submit your life to the will of God? Have you actually said to God, whatever you want, I will do. Lead me. Show me your will. You know, in our liturgy, we actually say that during the portion when we bring the Torah out. Show me your will, Lord. We know God's will by reading his scripture and submitting to what it says. That is a chunk of knowing the will of God for your life. 95% of everything you need to know about God's will for your life is found in the biblical text. I'll give you one that's practical, but that's not very popular. The Lord says to take the Shabbat off. If you have an opportunity to work on Shabbat and it's voluntary, you know right away that's not the will of God for you because if you take that position or that opportunity, you're choosing money over God. Some of us have to work because of the jobs that we have. Shoshana's position in a nurse, there are times where she goes in and it's not just Shabbat or whatever, and she's able to get Shabbat off mostly, but there are some roles in which we play for the sake of life that we have to work. But most of us, we reject God's will for money. We don't want to look at it that way, but if you recognize that the will of God is found within the biblical text, almost all of it, then we have to take what the scripture says as serious, instructional. We say Min Sinai, from Mount Sinai. God says, take the day off, let it be like no other day of the week. Do we take that seriously? Or on occasion, we prefer to work, make a few bucks. Right? That's a choice to be made. It's your choice. Just recognize in doing that, it's sin. Because you're on an arbitrary, personal, just your own greedy interest, working, instead of taking the Shabbat. I would say that there's all kinds of things I could say about this, but, but especially for young people, to really submit to God's will for your life, to decide that, that you will do what God wants you to do, not just what you want to do. I mean, all of us have to think about that during our lives, but especially for those who are younger. This is a critical issue because you have a whole life in front of you, which means that you can do anything you really want. But the most important thing to want is to do what God would want you to do, period. Because if you don't, your life will never reach its optimum. It's hard to imagine, but, uh, but you can do something great. You can become president of the United States. But if God wanted you to, to do something different, then you actually are missing out on the best for your life instead of, I mean, you'd just be missing out on the best for your life. That's hard to imagine. Well, I got a practical thing or two I want to say in regards to this, <clears throat> and it's on this sheet. We talk about learning to order our time. I hope you took some notes. I hope you paid attention. If not, go back and look at the sheet and read it later. 
All right? Life, is, life moves fast. You don't want to get to be Bob's age at 65, 66. 66. And look back on your life and say, I, I did, what, what did I do with my life? Uh, where'd it go? We all can say that to an extent, but if you're a follower of Messiah Yeshua, you should be able to look back on your life and say, I made a decision. I want to live my life God's way and look at all the things I've been, that God has used me to do. You know, That's the way you should look at life. But uh, a couple of things I want to talk about, and it's on this sheet. We must develop an order to our lives. I think a lot of times, a lot of reasons people do not accomplish much is because they are not ordered, okay? If you do not plan to fail, sorry, if you do not plan to fail, how's this thing go? If you, you fail to plan. Thank you. I know you could get out of a University of Chicago guy. Okay, so we've got to have order, got to have order. So first thing, develop basic annual goals for your life. As I've done in the past, and I haven't done actually in a couple of years, I printed out my old classic personal family goals sheet. Okay? If you do not have something in writing that articulates annual goals, you need it. You need it for yourself. You need it for your family. If you're not married yet, then at least have one for yourself. Okay? You need something like this. Dealing with family, career, spiritual, personal, financial. All right? I always talk about the 1, 5, and 15. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? Actually, you prayerfully consider, what does God want for my life? And then you start a trajectory toward it, you know? And so 15 years out, then 5, and then 1. What do I got to do this year to get to where God wants me to be at the end of my life or in 15 years from now? Something to think about, all right? And so making basic goals is, uh, is critical. So make daily time. I would say give you two right now if you don't have them. Make daily time for God. 30 minutes. Carve out every day. 30 minutes to spend time in Scripture and prayer on your own. Okay? That doesn't include coming within the community. That means on your own, on a daily basis, alone, spending time with God. Please, set aside at least 30 minutes. All right? I don't care when you do it, but you need to do it. And then I encourage you, make Shabbat a special day. Attend services, connect, serve, and rest. That's the purpose of this day, all right? Uh, to fulfill the command, the command is the mitzvah, the commandment is to a mikra kodesh, a holy assembly. We gather together for encouragement, to connect, to serve, and to rest. I encourage you to do that. Two sample spiritual goals. Uh, I would also encourage you to develop a purpose statement for your life. Consider a purpose statement. It doesn't have to be elaborate, but think about your life. What do you want your life purpose to be? What does God want your life purpose to be? Write something out. You know, write something out. I have one on my wall if you want to see what I wrote. But I'll, here, actually, uh, I did write it out here. My purpose statement, I wrote this when I was about 17 years of age, that I may know God and make him known and trusting to faithful men what truth I have been shown so that they might do the same in order that I will finish the fight well in the faith, not becoming disqualified. Everything I know I was told and taught by others when I was very young as a new believer. As I've often said, it seems when you're a new believer, you don't know enough about what older believers do that you don't do what you're taught. Some of you are older believers who've developed bad habits. Renew yourself. Become like a child. Change your approaches. Come up and follow some of these basic, simple instructions that I'm giving today. I encourage you, Set some spiritual goals. Create some annual goals. Come up with a purpose statement for your life. Finally, this is one that's constantly a headache for me, 
is develop and maintain a financial budget for your life. Hopefully you have so much money flowing into your checking and savings account that you don't even worry about money. But that's probably not anybody in this room. You need to be responsible for everything God has blessed you with. All your finances, everything, all your possessions from God. You need to treat it appropriately. And I encourage you to create a budget if you do not have one. And there are all kinds of ways you can do it. Mike Verdeen is becoming a financial planner type of guy. Certified financial planner. So if you want somebody who's actually got a certification, who's in-house, you can always talk to, uh, to Mike. He's always happy to talk about finances. But I encourage you to do two things. One, buy faith, build your faith, learn to tithe. 10% is not arbitrary, really. It's an old figure been used a long time. Abraham gave 10% to Melchizedek. You can give more, but I encourage you to set aside 10% of what God blesses you with for the purpose of building up God's kingdom. I encourage you to give a chunk of it to the synagogue, otherwise the synagogue cannot function effectively. But I encourage you to certainly set aside a significant chunk for the building up uh, of God's kingdom and not your own. Here's just, we finally finished this. It's official, the synagogue budget. There's copies of it out there if you want to see what that looks like. But the bigger picture is what I keep, again, every once in a while I, I, I rant about, is what I call the 10, 10, and 80. All right? You're a young couple. or actually, some, of the, some of these young couples, they're doing really well. I always say, give 10, save 10, live on 80. All right? If you are young and you're a dink, that means double income, no kids, and we have a few of those in the congregation, you can give 10, you can get more than 10, but you can certainly save more than 10. If you can learn to live on less, you will be better off later in life. There are stories of young adults in their 20s saving for retirement. By the time they're 40, they can retire. How did that happen? They learned to live within their means. Americans today carry a significant chunk of money on credit cards. I can't remember the last figure, but I believe it's double digits. How do you get ahead if you got double digits worth of credit card debt? You go bankrupt. Well, that doesn't help anything because they're discovering that people go bankrupt once, many of them go bankrupt again. <laughs> we have to learn to manage our resources. It's a new year. If you've never budgeted in your life, and you don't want to talk to me about your money, talk to Todd Lesperance, all right? He's a business guy. He understands money or Mike Ferdeen, all right? But the key is learn to budget. Manage your resources. God expects you to. And God has a way, if people are not managing their resources, he has a way of withdrawing the blessing. So I've seen him do that too. Remember, everything we have is a blessing from God. We need to take that seriously. So I encourage you to give serious thought to these things. On, on this document here also include certain things that I've used in the past like a family responsibility list for chores for kids and different things. But the point is uh, to, get, to, to be very intentional and proactive as we go into this year on these three issues. Setting spiritual goals or goals generally for the year, developing a purpose statement for your life, and developing and maintaining a financial budget. And the last thing I want to mention, because I'm done in a minute, is there are 10 questions. This sheet here, I've given it out again in the past. 
I want to encourage you all to grab, a, grab one of these. The very first question he asks is this. What's one thing you could do this year to increase your enjoyment of God? That is a great question, but it is not an easy answer. What is one thing you can do this year to increase your enjoyment of God? That's a good place to start. You know, God loves us. God wants to be in an ever deeper relationship with us. Do we desire the same with him? If we're not intentional about it, if that's not something that's really on the front burner of our desires, then the truth is God will fade away. God, God will not force himself on us in terms of our, his relationship with us. And slowly but slowly, that relational desire will go away in us and uh, we'll be left with a life that's really not that meaningful. So I conclude... God has not called us as believers to exist. God has called us to live with vision. He has not saved us to serve ourselves, but to serve God and others as he calls us and burdens us. Successful people don't just live life. They attack it for God's glory. Life is a precious gift provided by our Heavenly Father. Only marking time is a misuse of that divine gift. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and the challenge of it. God, we thank you for the fact that we can indeed critically evaluate our life, analyze where we're at in our relationship with you, and that you are always willing and desirous of a deeper relationship with us. God, I pray as we each look at our lives, as we consider what we're doing with our time, that we would decide in a very uh, clear way to allocate more time to relationship with you. Again, we thank you, God, for the opportunities you give us to encourage one another. And I pray that we would be ever more intentional about that as well. We again thank you for this community. We thank you for how you have brought us together in this place as a testimony of your faithfulness to our people, but also, God, as an encouragement to one another. Bless us, God, and bless this community for your glory. And we pray all this in our Messiah Yeshua's name.